0: All right, uh, today's reading comes from Acts 24:10 to 27. And when the governor had nodded to him to speak, Paul replied, "Knowing that for many years you have been a judge over this nation, I cheerfully make my defense. You can verify that it is not more than 12 days since I went up to worship in Jerusalem, and they did not find me disputing with anyone or stirring up a crowd So I always take pains to have a clear conscience toward both God and man. Now, after several years, I came to bring alms to my nation and to present offerings. While I was doing this, they found me purified in the temple without any crowd or tumult. But some some Jews from Asia, they ought to be here before you and to make an accusation, should they have anything against me. Or else let these men themselves say what wrongdoing they found when I stood before the council. Other than, this, other than this one thing that I cried out while standing among them, it is with respect to the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial before you this day. But Felix, having a rather accurate knowledge of the way, put them off, saying, When Lysias the Tribune comes down, I will decide your case. Then he gave orders to the centurion that he should be kept in custody, but have some liberty, and that none of his friends should be prevented from attending his needs. After some days, Felix came with his wife, Jusia, which, who was Jewish, and he sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. And as, he, and as he reasoned about righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment, Felix was alarmed and said, Go away for the present. When I get an opportunity, I will summon you. And at the same time, he hoped that money would be given him by Paul. So he sent for him often and conversed with him. When two years had elapsed, Felix was succeeded by Porcius Festus. And desiring to do the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul in prison. This is God's word.
1: Thank you, sis. Thank you so much. Before you be seated, uh, let's pray. Okay? Let's ask the Lord's blessing over this time. Holy Spirit. Bring glory to Christ. Um, thank you for just being able to sing and enjoy each other and see our young people exalting Christ, our leadership with Christ and leading that. And, Lord, we pray that we would hear from you right now. God, we need to hear from you, and uh, we thank you for your holy word, and we don't go to your holy word uh, just, um, you know, great naive, just being naive, Lord, or thinking like, oh, I can just read this and understand it. But we come knowing that supernaturally you have to provide a revelation. So we pray for that right now. And we pray that your spirit will guide us in our conversation, in our understanding, and that you would allow us to not get more information, but you would allow us to learn how to worship you more, Christ, that you are worthy. So would you do that, Lord, and would you just, just yeah, awaken our hearts, Lord, to want to hear from you and to not be tired and to be engaged, um, for you want to speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. If you need Bibles, let me know, and I'll go ahead and raise your hand. and. Um, Brian will hook you up. He has his, some hands over here, Brian. And then, uh, we as a community want to make sure that you're entering into the word. So thank you for that. We're going to jump right in guys. Uh, been packed full today. Praise God. We have our young people here too, I love that, that we have a switch where we, uh, this is our Sunday where we have our young people, so hopefully you'll be encouraged as well in the scriptures. Uh, we are in Acts, and we've been going through Acts for over a year now, a year and some months. We're in Acts chapter 24. Um, you can check out what we've talked about. I think what I'm going to do is I'm kind of going to recap maybe every other couple weeks or so. Uh, but in a nutshell, right now we're in 24. We have this man, Paul who became a Christian uh, some years ago. Uh, he was a man who was basically uh, wreaking havoc, probably the most havoc in, in the church of the people called the way. That's us, we're Christians today. Back then, uh, they had many different names, Nazarene sect. Uh, the way and he was d- dedicated to making sure he could make sh- uh, purify uh, uh, the people of Yahweh and so he thought he was doing a really good thing by killing Christians by, by putting Christians in jail uh, but indeed he was doing a horrible thing Jesus was gracious instead of killing him and destroying Paul uh, what he did was he saved him just like he does you and me right he could destroy us because of our evil uh, but instead what he does he pours his grace out on Paul and says I'm going to actually use you uh, to be my my agent of change in the world, which is what he does. See, we could retell that story. That's what he does with us too, right? He, he saves you. And then he says, now your life um, is repurposed, as it were, uh, to be about my mission primarily um, as you go through life. And so we get to see, as we look at Paul, kind of a glimpse of what does it mean uh, to be on mission when God recaptures your life, saves you, brings you from dead, makes you alive, and says, now I'm giving you uh, clearing, I'm giving you clear orders of what you need to be about, right? So we get to see Paul doing that through his missionary journeys. And now we're here where he's in prison. He's been preaching the gospel. People are getting upset people are getting saved Um, he's gotten beat up a couple times and now here he is in prison defending himself why because last week we saw there are some charges brought up against him uh, from uh, a group of of, of people from the Sadducees basically the Sanhedrin uh, the the ruling council of all the Jews they came and said we want to tell on Paul there's some stuff he's been doing he's been messing up he's been wreaking havoc and they they bring up three specific lies uh, that they kind of make up to try and get Paul in trouble and then kind of Felix is hearing this out. And then now he's saying, hey, kind of Paul, what, what's going on? Like, what's your story? And so now that's where we are today. So let's go ahead and enter into <clears throat> verse 10 and see how what Paul has to say to the accusations brought upon him. So if you want to know what's going on with those accusations, go check that out in verses one through nine. And then hopefully this will encourage you as well. Starting in verse 10. This is Paul's response to the accusations. Uh, a couple things the Accusation of him basically causing a lot of drama and being sacrilegious of defiling the temple. Uh, there's an accusation of him trying to cause a riot, uh, which which is very frustrating to the Romans because of that political unrest um, could mean you know drama for the Romans. So here the, these are the accusations that were brought up against Paul, and this is Paul sitting in prison. And remember this, guys: you're in the first century. You're, you're, this is happening right now. You've been beat up. It's only been a couple of weeks, right? Actually, maybe 12 days since that really crazy time where he got like almost slaughtered only about 12 not even two weeks okay and i know we've been doing it for like two months but it's only been two weeks all right? and the thing is here he is you ask yourself what kind of condition would you be in what what would be your emotional mindset what would you be thinking right how would you be feeling at this point well here's paul here's what he said keep that in mind as we're going through the scriptures then i want to provide hopefully a little insight at the end verse 10 it says and when the governor had nodded to him to speak you need any bibles Paul replied, knowing that for many years, this is Paul talking now, knowing that for many years you have been a judge over this nation, I cheerfully make my defense. So first thing we see is we see, um, you know, Phyllis hearing everything out and kind of going, okay, Paul, like, how do you respond to that? And then Paul, I'm proposing right here, unlike those other guys, remember we saw when they started their accusation against Paul, they started with kind of flattery, remember? It was flattery, just basically... A false representation of the truth to get what you want, right? We know that that wasn't Paul's point here. He wasn't trying to flatter, uh, because obviously, you know, if you think of even the, the definition of flattery, it's a cal- you know a calculated misrepresentation to kind of to kind of gain something for yourself. Like when you flatter, that's why it's not that's why it's unchristian to flatter, right? Because because we don't we don't try to set people up. Right. We're not we're not shady as Christians. Right. Or we shouldn't be shady. I see some of y'all going well, but I am kind sometimes. Well, I know but that's why we got grace. And then God wants to give you the grace to say, quit being shady. OK, because Christians, we don't flatter. Right. We don't look at people and go, you know what, I'm going to say I'm going to bend the truth a little bit because I have an angle of what I want to get from you. And I'm going to do that so I can get X, Y and Z. All right. So that's just a commercial. Christians don't do that. Christians tell the truth. So Paul, the reason why he said this, you know, he knew that this guy had been kind of in a realm of what was going on with Jerusalem. And the Jews for about nine years. He knew that. Because, you know, because remember... He had been persecuting Christians, and then now he's been on a move, you know, encouraging Christians. And he's seen this Felix character being kind of the head guy over the different regions that he's been pre- preaching the gospel in. So so when he says this, he's actually meaning it, knowing for, hey, you've, you've judged over this nation. I'm cheerfully making my defense because I know you know what's going on with this sect. I know you've heard about the way and what's going on. If you want me to prove that, I'm going to go to this verse again. But uh, verse 22 Actually, you, the, the author wants you to know, if you look in your Bible, which we always talk about, make sure you have your Bible open when we're talking. In verse 22, it talks about Felix being well acquainted with the way. All right? So he knew what was up. Um, but what I love about this is he's going to cheerfully make his defense, right? <clears throat> and he begins to proclaim. Now, remember in Luke 12... I love this because when you see this happening here, I always want you to be doing biblical theology, doing biblical context, right? And so what you're seeing here is you're seeing a guy who loves Jesus being asked uh, to make a defense for the hope that he has within him by these hierarchy, these rulers and authorities. Have we seen anything like this in the Bible? Did Jesus ever talk about something like this? Well, absolutely he did, right? We see it all throughout the Gospels, right? Write this address down, Luke chapter 12. Uh, Verse 11 and 12 says this. And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Now, why do I bring that up? I bring it up because I love love the discrepancy. I love how you have this one group who's trying to lie on Paul. They're the power brokers. They're the Sanhedrin. They're the leaders of the religious sect of the Jews. And then they bring a lawyer to state their case. Paul comes with no lawyer, with no group, just Paul. But I want to propose to you because of that verse, he didn't come with just Paul. It came with the Holy Spirit. And so he comes up and he's like, well, I have something to say. Right. And here's something to say is going to even be deeper. Why? Because he has actually the supernatural power of the creator of the universe right before him. And so I want to encourage you. And I'm pretty sure when the first century Jew read this, they were super encouraged to see a man have such courage in this time and realize it wasn't just a fleshly guy. But what the Lord is continually trying to do in Acts, he's trying to remind you and me that the same Holy Spirit that rose Jesus Christ from the dead, that rose Jesus Christ from the dead that created all created and uncreated things lives in you. Amen. Yeah. And so this is just a testimony. God, Jesus said that so that when we see that happen here, we can remember, oh, I'm a man and a woman. Like, I'm just like Paul. I'm a human too. So the same workings that we're seeing supernaturally happen in Paul's life as he's about the kingdom can and do happen in your lives when you're about the kingdom. The question is, do you believe that? Because Paul wants you to leave encouraged, going, wow, look at what the Lord did. So this is what the Lord is doing. He's, the Holy Spirit is using him. He's about to tell his case. He started, in verse 11, he says, first, you can verify that it is not more than 12 days since I went up to worship in Jerusalem. So he's kind of addressing, first and foremost, the accusation that this guy came up in Jerusalem and kind of started riots and was just crazy. And everybody's running around crazy because of Paul. Okay? And he says in verse 12, and they did not find me disputing with anyone <coughs> excuse me, or stirring up a crowd, either in the temple or in the synagogues or in the city. Neither can they prove to you what they now bring up against me. So he just, does a, he, just, he just keeps it so real. You know what he basically says, y'all? Why does he bring up 12 days? You know why? Because you do the math. <coughs> he spent probably five days in Caesarea, okay, which means at most he spent seven days in Jerusalem. Which basically means he's saying, guess what? That ain't even enough time to start a riot, brother. He's basically bringing up the time because he's saying, look, I wasn't there long enough to get enough people riled up to riot. Okay, so he's saying practically it didn't happen. But then we're going to even see him use more information as well. So he says, I, there was no disputing. There was no, there was no rioting. There was no craziness. And you know what's so funny about this passage? When you think about the other passages we've seen, we've seen Paul create a couple riots. In fact, everywhere he's been up to that point in Jerusalem, we've seen a riot. So I think it's hilarious that the one time that Paul actually didn't cause a riot, they lie and say he did. Isn't that funny? I mean, anybody—he could. Paul can go, yeah, I can cause some riots. You know what I'm saying? I did it last week. I did it the week before last. I did it the week before last last. But actually, this week, Mr. Felix, I actually didn't cause a riot because he didn't. You remember what was going on here, right? What was going on during this time? You remember? Why was he in Jerusalem? You know, it's so funny. Some of us think, well, yeah, he did cause a riot because we're so used to Paul causing riots. But when you look at the passage, he didn't cause a riot then. Remember what he was doing? He was working out a Nazarite vow. Do you remember? He was purifying himself. Why? Because he was trying to show the Jews, I'm with you. I'm consecrating myself to the Lord. I'm not here to cause drama. I'm here to worship. Right? That's what he was doing. So he's like, this is you got me wrong this time. Right? He continues on. He says, hey, so the the time frame is weird. I've caused a lot of riots, but not this one. Actually, you know what? He he just says in the end of verse um, 13, neither can they prove to you what they now bring up against me. He's just saying, hey. You know what? They can't prove it. They know there's no one could tell you that that happened. You need to just kind of throw this out. So he just kind of dispels that first um, framework of like, hey, he's trying to take over and make, make Roman look silly and a Rome look silly. And he's trying to bring all this, uh, this crazy ride into the city. He's like, no, it's just not true. Didn't have enough time. And actually, the one time I came there, man, I was, I was doing a Nazarite vow because y'all was tripping because I had a Gentile friend, right? Goes on in verse 14. He says, but this I confess to you that according to the way which they call a sect... I worship the God of our fathers, right? Believing everything laid down by the law and written in the prophets. So what he's doing here, he's handling accusation number two. So he first says, let me deal with the accusation of you saying, you know, we're causing, causing riots, I'm trying to, call, I'm trying to disrupt the, the Roman peace that's happening within the Juda, Judaistic world. He says, that's crazy. Now let's deal with this other issue that you're telling me. You're saying that, that basically, you know, I'm, I'm sacrilegious. I'm, not, I'm worshiping some other God. He's like, that's not true. Right, He says, believing everything laid down, in of verse 14, down by the law and written in the prophets, having a hope in God, which these men themselves accept, that there will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust, verse 16. So I always take pains to have a clear conscience toward uh, God and man, which is actually one of my life verses. I want to encourage you. We do memory verses every week in our bulletin, well, mostly every week in our bulletin. This is one of my life verses Acts twenty four sixteen, right? That that basically I, I work and I strive hard to remain blameless both before God and before man. I remember memorizing that back in college and thinking to myself, what a cool testimony of Paul of saying, you know what? I love the whole sense. I love you to over spiritualize it, right? Because you know how we can be sometimes. I don't, my only judge is God, right? Right. Forget man, like long as God pleases me, you know, and all that and we can have that kind of swagger that's arrogant, right? But I love Paul. He's like, No, there's something very valuable and there's something very godly about making sure that we're blameless both before God and before man. That when man dog you and speak ill about you, that after they do that, you want them to be able to leave and turn their head and go, I knew I was lying. Right? Because you want to have such a testimony, don't tell, now, now listen now. When he says that, that don't mean people are going to be nice to him. Don't miss it now. Because we think the evidence of being blameless is no one, everybody liking you. We think that's the evidence. Everybody liking you. No one saying anything bad about you. Somebody bring up your name. Oh, he's so nice. He's so humble. He gives the money. And we think that's the evidence. See? And so then what we do is we play toward the evidence, the worldly evidence. And we're not really being blameless before God because you're actually exalting man. Right. No, this is biblical <laughs> right when you're blameless before God and before man. That means when you're really blameless before God and before man, people are not gonna like you, people are gonna lie on you, they're gonna say things that aren't true. It's gonna be really difficult when you say you want to worship and honor and acknowledge a holy God. You know what I'm saying? And so this this actually gets you in trouble. But beautiful life verse for me, he's saying, let me just be very clear. Hey, guys, Mr. Felix, I'm not a heretic, is his point, right? And, and, and the reason why he he, and he talks about the whole concept of, I love what he does here, he kind of throws back into their face of, like, the reality of the scriptures that they all supposed to believe in, right? You see what he does here? This is, this is street, y'all. This is the Holy Spirit working in his life, right? He says, okay, now I confess to you. I'm going to agree. I'm a part of this sect. Right, it's almost saying, you know, it's like it's it's almost like I was I was ministering to a friend actually at, at our party yesterday, and and he is um, on an, he's an uninformed Catholic, so he doesn't really know a lot about Catholic doctrine, but all he does know is like he he just knew it was something weird if I'm not a Catholic, right? And so I could have played it to him and like kind of act like I wasn't like uh, like I was like kind of a Catholic. I like, no, I agree with you. I'm not a Catholic, but now let's talk about what I am, right? Because what I want you to understand, you know, before I deal with my discrepancies of what I disagree with, Catholicism, I want to talk about the reason why I even disagree is because the whole focus in life is Jesus. So let's talk Jesus first. So what he does here, he says, yeah, I know, you, I know the sect gets some bad get some bad publicity, and I am a part of that. I recognize that, I acknowledge that I'm a part of the way, right, which they call a sect. They call it, you know, a cult. But he says, but I worship the God. That sect worships the God of our fathers, now you know what he's doing here he said believing everything now look check this out so here just, and people get mad when you do this in life so he says believing everything laid down by the law and written in the prophets guess what he's saying there he's, caught, he's, he's drawing a line in the sand there guys he's saying actually what I want to say here is we believe actually everything the Bible's saying right now if he's saying they believe everything the Bible is saying what is he saying about them you see what he's doing there He's saying, actually, if we're gonna keep it straight, they're the heretics because here's what the Bible says, and we're following it. Like, for example, the resurrection. You know, he's like, look at Isaiah 55. Look at that. You know, you're going through the text. He's like, we believe. You know, we believe in the resurrection. Do y'all? That's what he's doing. And if they say no. Then he's looking like, hey, Mister Phillips, why don't they believe in the resurrection? Isn't that in the? That in the you know, in the Torah? I'm just trying, I'm just asking questions, right? So this is what he's doing. He's taking, he's not, he's not doing sleight of hand. He's saying, I'm going to take the very book, the very, the very law that we all are agreeing to. And I'm going to say, okay, let's look at it. Who's believing everything? Actually, the sect is you guys aren't. What's the problem? See what he's doing there? So he talks about the resurrection of the just and unjust. uh, Talking about believing in the law and the prophets. And he kind of basically says, I want to deny the things that are untrue. I want to receive the things that are true. We are actually true. Our argument is true. We believe that there's a hope. There's a resurrection. And then he says, even in verse 17, he goes on and says, Now, after several years, I came to bring alms to my nation and to, uh, to present offerings. Now, his point here is to go back to the sense of just want to remind you that I wasn't just infirm. I wasn't doing crazy stuff when I was in, in Jerusalem. Guess why I even came there? Remember? He he was traveling He got gifts from the Gentiles. Remember, the Jewish church is really poor. We talked about this months ago. Got gifts from the Gentiles. He was bringing them to the Jerusalem church, right? He's bringing arms. He's like, I came to bring money, which is going to, I think, going to play a part later on in the text. You'll see it in a moment. He's like, I was bringing money, and I was being purified. Look what he says in verse 18. While I was doing this, they found me purified in the temple without any crowd or tumult. But some Jews from Asia, they ought to be here before you and to make an accusation should they have anything against me. Look what he's doing here. So he says... Okay, first of all, the funny thing, the irony, is they're saying, I desecrated the temple. Because they're saying, I was doing things that I shouldn't have been doing in the temple. But what's interesting, the very time you're saying, I was desecrating the temple, he's saying, I was actually being purified. Isn't that crazy irony? I mean, he just wasn't a, being a Jew and just going to synagogue. This is one of the few times he was actually purifying himself because he was, he was ending a Nazarite, a Nazarite vow. That is hilarious. Right, this is the one time he's like, man, I was actually you know, fasting and stuff. <laughs> you know, they're like, oh. So he's making, it re- he's making this case really clear. We're giving money. I was, I was minding my own business. I was just consecrating myself to Yahweh. And these guys are saying I was being—I de- was deconsecrating things. It's absolutely false. <clears throat> Excuse me. He, can, he continues to go on in verse 19. They ought to be here. He says, hey, and you know what's interesting? He's like... These guys, where are these people? Like, why are they not here bringing these accusations themselves? What, they'll tell you what really happened, right? They can't, they won't, they won't sit here and lie right into your face because then we can kind of find the evidence. So he may, he just calls them out. He says, you, you can go, you can get witnesses easily and see that this is true what I'm telling you. Or else let these men themselves, verse 20 say that wrongdoing they found when I stood before the council. I love this. Look at what he says in verse 21. Other than this one thing that I cried out while standing among them, it is, it is with respect to the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial before you this day. Man, you see what he's doing here? I love how he's not backing down with the, the, the clear truth that is separating the men from the boys here, right? The truth that, man, a dead man can rise from the dead. And there's one who did it, Jesus Christ. Right? He's not, he's, not, he's not shrinking away from that. But look what he's doing here. Verse 21. What do you think he's talking about there, guys? As we study the text, what is he talking about here? Other than this one thing that I crowd out while standing among you, among them. It sounds like he's saying there's, oh, he's like, hey, okay. So I might be on trial for two things. Okay. The resurrection, which is cool because he's being clear. He's like, I might be on trial for the resurrection, but you've read your Bible. That's in the Bible, right? So that makes everybody feel like, okay, so if I disagreed and I look weird because it is here and it's there and I can give you addresses for that. You know, she's like, okay. But then he's like, in hey, that other thing I did, you remember what he did? You remember what he did? Remember when he, when he, when he, when he spoke ill of the high priest? Remember? I, I love this passage. How, how humbling is that? Felix didn't know about it. I'm wondering, I mean, it could be that there's something else he did in re- in recording history that we just don't have it in the text. It could be that for sure. Okay, so I went down this hill. But I'm convinced that Paul is sitting there before the people. And he's so humble, which I want to talk about. I think is one of the crucial aspects of the text here. He's so humble that he's saying, you know what? Yeah, and there's this other thing I did, Phyllis. And Phyllis probably going, what are you talking about? Because he wasn't there. He's like, man, you, I, you know, remember it says in the scriptures, it says that, you know, Paul... Uh, said to the high priest, what did he, what did he say to him? Um, God's going to punch you in the mouth. Remember that? Sucker. Remember remember when he said that? Right? And Ananias punched him. Uh, right? He's like, oh, okay. That's how we're we doing things now. You know? Watch what God do to you, Paul. Right? And then the people said, whoa, 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 whoa. You, you, you are crazy, Paul. You're talking to the high priest like he's one of the homies. You know? Then Paul was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Oh, my goodness, I sinned. I'm sorry. I didn't know he was a high priest. Cause God, then he quotes verses. Talk about humility. You ever told on yourself like that? So you ever sin against somebody? Then they call you out, and you're like, "Yeah, you're right, man." Because yeah, Luke three four says, duh, 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 and then they they You know, no, you don't. Do you quote verses and start telling on yourself and like sit in the coffin? Try that next time. You're in an argument with your girlfriend or a friend or somebody. They, you wrong them, and, they, and you realize it. Start thinking of verses to quote to tell on yourself. Right? You talk about character building. Well, Paul does that. Paul quotes verses to say, you're right, you pagan people who are dogging me and trying to kill me because the Bible does say this. Well, Paul brings it up here. I'm pretty convinced that Paul is saying, other than that one thing that I cried cried out while standing among you, it seems like other than that, maybe I might be on trial, but other than that, it's about the resurrection, right? Now, keep that in your mind, what's going on there, first of all. Just keep that in your mind. And then look what happens in 22. Okay, so the reason why all that's important is because that brings Felix to a point of decision. Okay, remember the Holy Spirit is is moving in this guy. and You're like, what is, what is Paul doing here? Okay, it seems like an interesting argument. But look, what it says here. It says, but Felix, having a rather accurate knowledge of the way, put them off. You see that? So, all along, Paul is knowing, because a lot of things Paul is doing, he's saying general things, but he knows, Felix knows more about this sect than a lot of people in the room. I mean, think about that. The guy here in this case is like, yeah, I know about that. I remember that too. Because Felix was in Caesarea for, for many years, for five years or so, right? And so he's, he's, he's seen the, the evangelist Philip and Philip walking around and leading people to Christ. I mean, you got to keep in mind, he was in Jerusalem right when there was tens of thousands of christians okay so he's watching all this stuff you think he's just sitting around not seeing christians going around and preaching the gospel and and he goes to a house and sees a little fish ichthus here and there and you don't think he's seeing all this stuff <laughs> right and look what it says though but felix having a rather accurate knowledge of the way put them all saying when i the tribune comes down i will decide your case you see what he did you see, this dude did. So, okay. He knows he has accurate view of the way. Paul has destroyed their case, right? Destroyed it. <laughs> he said, look, man, I'm fasting. I'm doing a Nazarite vow. I'm not dogging anybody. There is no recollection. No one's bringing it up. Case is closed. And he said, he looks around and goes, hmm. All right. His brother's telling the truth, but the Jews might get mad at me if I let him go. So I can't do that. Um, So let me figure this out. And what does he do? I put here, you know you're a coward when you know the right thing to do and you don't do it because of discomfort. To me, I wonder if God was trying to teach us the implication of just history, the implication of Christian ethics, the implication of being a Christian leader is, man, to not be a coward. I remember I tell this story all the time. Probably everybody in this room has heard it. One of the most cowardly acts I ever made was when I didn't marry Sarah earlier, right? One of the main reasons I didn't marry Sarah was because I was scared about what does it look like to be an interracial couple? Right. And so it took me a while to figure it out. You know, I'm like, man. And so we broke up and and people in our seminary was like, why would y'all break up? This girl's amazing. She's awesome. And I'm like, I know, I don't know what I'm doing, you know, and, and, and so the Lord gave me the grace as months went by, I think three to four months went by without us talking at all. And, um, and God just get brought me to Romans eight, and Romans eight says, "I haven't given you a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but I give you a spirit of sonship, and by him we cry out Abba, father.'" And, to, and the Lord, to this day, it was a flagpole moment in my life because God was like, "I'm I'm doing this because I'm I'm going to be gracious and give you Sarah, even though you are being an absolute." dummy right now but i want you to learn this is more about christian leadership eric i'm trying to use this example to teach you about christian leadership which now i realize what god was trying to do he's like you cannot really be a christian leader that serves and honors christ if you are worried about what people think you can't do it you can fake it and you can probably fool millions of humans but you can't be a christian leader That honors God. See, the difference, I'm trying to help us understand something. I'm not talking about worldly output. I'm not talking about people massaging your ego and making you think you're doing something because humans telling you that you're right. I'm talking about God telling you that you're right. Those are different, right? God was like, you can't be a man where God says, well done, good and faithful servant and you 're walking around here worried about what people think, and you 're trying to work your angles. How can you be a prophet like that? Prophets tell the truth to human people who are evil and who don 't want to near hear the truth that 's a definition of prophecy. You tell the truth to the world. The world hates God. So what do you think is going to happen when you are a prophet to a world that says "I want and the Bible tells you in Timothy, the world wants to, it has itching ears, and they want to hear what they want to hear. You don't think, i have we not experienced that, Pastor? I have experienced that firsthand over and over again. I'm like, man, we want to hear what we want to hear. So God was like, look, right now I'm trying to teach you something, Eric. You need to learn this right now with this beautiful girl. You almost messed up. Now get your mind right. Become a, a godly leader and go find that girl. And by God's grace, she called me and I, I brought up some real, I tried to throw my theology down to make her get all excited about me again and you know, when we hooked up and I told her I'm sorry, I was a wimp but I'm not going to be a wimp again. Amen. And got my boo. Ha! <laughs> so and it's my girl. 12 years August, right? The biggest expression of God's grace in my life next to Jesus. So, um, so look at this guy. Here's a guy, he could have chose truth and yet He's more concerned about what people thought. And he's like, you know what he does? He does the wimpy move. He doesn't do anything. Now, you know that that, That's that's the biggest wimpy move. There's some cats who are wimps, and they'll do the opposite, right? They'll say, you know what? I'm going to kill them. You know the wimpier people to me are the people who do nothing. The wimpier people to me personally are people who can choose one and say, man, both of them make me feel uncomfortable, so I'll just do nothing. I'll just kind of say, well, what you you mean? I don't know. I don't know. you know, we'll filibuster for 20, 20 years and 10 years and five years and not do anything. To me, that's, a, that's, I mean, that's more my baggage. That's, that's mad wimpy, right? He doesn't do anything. He says, well, I'm not going to kill him. So I'm going to put him on house arrest for years. But I want to make sure the Jews are kind of happy. So he'll have visitation rights. Well, why? Excuse me, Mr. Phillips, why am I in jail? I uh, don't worry about that part. It's eat your food. Well, well, but I get like, people can visit me. I can walk around the grounds and I can hang out and speak nicely to people. And, but I can't leave this area. Yeah. Shut up. Like, well, well, well why Mr. Felix? Uh, can you imagine he's in jail? He's, he's in confinement for years and there's no explanation for why. Do you see that? Yeah. Because of the wimp. <clears throat> it says in verse 23, it says, Then he gave orders to the centurion that he should be kept in custody, but have some liberty. Let the brother grow him around now, you know. This is kind of federal prison. This ain't the joint, you know what I'm saying? We ain't in a joint yet, you know what I'm saying? This ain't penitentiary. No. He says, give him some liberty and that none of his friends should be prevented from attending to his knees. Love that. I mean, God's grace is in that, but also I think that's just hilarious. So, hey, brother might need some apples, you know, you know what I'm saying? Might need some Kit Kats. Let the people come, bring them some food, let them do what they need to do, but make sure he needs to stay confined because I need to make sure the Jews know that we're trying to handle this too. Just wimpy. Man, to me, guys, a couple of things I'm going to go home. I want to encourage our church to live for Christ. I Man, people are going to just do you wrong. See, aren't we scared to be done wrong? I mean, come on, can we just have a combo up in here? We are, we are nervous. We are scared. God, God's doing something in your heart right now, you, and you know, God is like, "I want you to." No, you like, I want you to give it all, and you're like, "But no, I know what you're thinking." But if I do that, Lord, and you start thinking about all the things, all the misunderstandings, right, all the discomforts, and we're kind of nervous. And then we come here and you get into the covenant community and you get spurred on. You're like, okay, I'm going to do it. And then two days later, you're like, no, man. Right? And that's the fight of the Christian. That's the Christian fight. Man, I'm asking for the Holy Spirit to allow just some, just some stability that you hear it, you digest it, and you keep it. Yeah, amen. you say, man, what does it look like to, to be okay with the hurts and the pains? Amen. This is a spiritual thing that's happening here, guys. Guys, yeah. <clears throat> look what it says here. Verse 24, he's there for two years after some days, Felix, and check this out. So he goes off, <laughs> he's in confinement, which I just think is hilarious. Um, and it says, after some days, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla. So he brings a girl who is Jewish, and he sent for Paul and heard him speak about the faith in Christ Jesus. So, so, so a couple things here. First, can I encourage the saints here? Uh, one, one of the things, that when I think of me uh, being a, a leader and also I think of my own personal life and my personal failures, both my personal failures but also things that have happened to me because I feel like I'm just being God's prophet is, um, is, man, things happen in your life because of what you've done to people and then the people hurt you. And both of them are actually defining moments. And it could be defeating moments. And what I've seen in my journey, and what as I watch people and as I counsel you guys and want to just help serve you guys, and Pastor Leon does the same, I think one thing we can say that we've seen is, man, in those moments really define you or defeat you, right? Because, because a lot of times loss, when people hurt you, loss or pain in your life, and you can think of you, I mean, you guys know your narratives, okay? You know what has happened to you in your life for people doing stuff to you. You know what's happened in your life because you've done stuff to people, okay? But in both, it's really about how, how you react afterwards that really shows the essence of someone's Christian character. And, and, what, and one of the main things that Satan wants to do to you and me is he wants to use your failures or people's failures toward you to kind of discourage you. To kind of put you at hold so that you can't be about the things that God wants you to be about. And what I'm realizing, if I can share this, what I'm realizing in life as I watch Paul is he saw losses. I mean, the scriptures say in the end of his life that everybody deserted him. He saw loss. He saw things being X out of his life as actual opportunities to begin new chapters. Do you see that? Do you see that in your life when someone hurts you or when you do something to somebody and and, and Satan says, I'll look at you. You're not a serious Christian. I mean, who does something that evil? I mean, really? You did that? You talked about that person like that? You defamed like that? Oh, they did that to you like that? And you find yourself, you can't move on. You still trying to hold on. Somebody totally said, I don't want to be with you. I don't want to like you. I don't think you're nice. They're you, And you still trying to hold on to a relationship that totally someone said, I don't want to be a part of. God says, I'm trying to allow you to see my refusals many times are my mercy. I want you to move on and begin a new chapter. Do you see what I'm saying? When I look at Paul's life, I don't see him holding on to stuff. I see him so pressed forward for the mark of enjoying Christ and pursuing Christ and exalting Christ that even though all this stuff is happening to him, if you just read this letter, you just read this descriptors right here, you wouldn't even know all the other stuff happened. Yes, amen. You wouldn't even know it. Why? Because he's fake? No. Because he's not hurting? He's absolutely hurting. But I want to propose to you, there was a passion about Christ and about moving forward that was unmatched. So he says here, It he says he brings his girl, he's preaching the gospel. Look at this. All this stuff that happens, it's been 12 days, y'all, and he's still preaching the gospel, right? And he, what does he preach? He says, and he as he reasoned about righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment, Felix was alarmed and said, go away for the present. <coughs> when I get an opportunity, I will summon you. Two things, real quick. Check this out. First, he... I love that he gives an apposition here. He talks about he preached the gospel, faith in Christ, and then he tells you, he says, or to say it another way, <laughs> righteousness, self-control, and the coming judgment, which reminds me of, a, of scriptures, uh, John 16, verses 7 through 11. You can turn that and uh, write that address down. The scriptures say, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. See if this doesn't sound familiar with you guys. I'll just skip down to verse 8. And when he comes, the spirit of truth, he will convict the world concerning sin And righteousness and judgment. You see that? Right? This says here, verse 25, And he reasoned about righteousness, self-control, and judgment. I'm proposing those are the same thing. What am I saying here? I'm saying that when we talk about the gospel, it seems in Paul's mind or Luke's mind when he wrote this, that he's saying when you think gospel, it's hard to think gospel without talking about the coming judgment, this whole issue of sin, or when you say self-control here, I want to propose the reason why I think that correlates with sin, because self-control is that person realizing that God is holy and they're not, and being willing to confess and agree with God that they need him, right? That they're a sinner and they need to confess to God that they need Christ. He's saying this is part of what the gospel is. So let's make sure that as as we're thinking gospel, we're talking to people about the reality of the righteousness that's in Christ. The judgment that is coming and the responsibility of repentance and faith in Christ. Well, he says all this to this guy, right? And look what it says in the scriptures. It says, Felix was alarmed. You see that? See that right there? Verse 25. And he said, go away. I'll I'll call you when I get a chance later. Right? He gets alarmed. Now, that alarm. Don't miss this, guys. Don't miss this. You know what I want to propose that alarming is? That alarming is that moment when you're talking to someone about Jesus and the Holy Spirit does something where he lets you know this is true. So I want to propose to you that alarming is nothing less than the Holy Spirit kind of allowing his conscience to be somewhat sensitive enough to have a feeling that happens in your bosom when God talks to you. Okay? Now, many of us have become Christians, okay? So God has done that. Someone's talking to you about the Lord. You've had that because, you know, there's been all those different kind of meetings in the kitchen and all this stuff when you became a Christian. And you don't know when you became a Christian, but you know there's a lot of discussions. And there's those moments where someone's telling you about death and the reality of Jesus' reign. And you kind of don't know what to say. You don't know what to, But you're just feeling something. You're just kind of like, I think that's true. I think there's something to that. I want to propose that was his moment. God gave him that moment. But you know what's really sad? Look at what the rest of the text says. So he had a moment. So young people, you're going to have a moment. Hopefully you've already had that moment where the Holy Spirit is going to be talking. You're going to be singing these songs. You're going to be opening up the Bible. And God, Holy Spirit, supernaturally, is going to be saying something in your heart where you're going to go, I believe that. I think that's true. It's not just my mama taking me to church every Sunday. It's not just me growing up in a Christian family at MacAff. But no, apart from all that, I believe what the Bible's saying. And my prayer is that you don't do what happens in this text. Look what happens here. So he has that moment. He's alarmed. But he says, no, no, no. I don't want to sit in that conviction. I don't want to sit. Get away from me. Go. I'll send you back later. You know what happens? The Bible says, at some point, your conscience becomes dulled and dumbed and seared. And that basically the same promptings that the Holy Spirit is giving you that one time, you don't get as much. And all of a sudden... You hear the same words and it does nothing to you. That is the scariest moment to be in when the Holy Spirit does not capture your heart when he's talking. Look what happens here. The scriptures say at the same time, he hoped. And now we get to see motivations. Look at this. And this is so sad. Verse 26. At the same time, he hoped that money would be given him by Paul. So he sent for him often and conversed with him. Now you hear that guys? So two things first. Now you telling me, you telling me that he was willing to give Paul freedom for money, but not for truth. Is that what I'm hearing? Is that what I'm hearing? And so he was like, No, 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 no. See, I'm gonna I'm play the filibuster game with truth. But if you got dough, you got money, how much money you got? I'll let you out. And why would you think? Why would you think he would think Paul had money? Why? Thank you. Thank you, John. You know why? Because he remembered. Wait a minute. Man, when they caught that brother, he was having, he had bags of money in Jerusalem. What are he doing? What are he selling? Right? He had bags of money. So if you're giving all that money away, you must have more money. He didn't know that Paul was broke. <laughs> that happens to us. We, we have all kind of weird rumors about Mac like We got money. It's hilarious. We ain't got no money. But, um. Yeah, and you think, oh, you know know why people think that, though? Because you guys are being a people of God. And so they see people giving all the time. They see things being built up in our community. They see people buying houses in our community, sacrificing. And they go, who does that? I go, Christians. Christians. (laughs) Right? And so they see that, and then they kind of drum up. Because people of the world only do that when they have exorbitant amounts. Christians do it when they got whatever, because they want to be about kingdom. See, that's a beautiful testimony. Kudos to you guys. Praise God. So these guys, he's seeing that money. He's going, there must be some dough here. But, man, it breaks my heart because he was willing to give over himself. Man, the, the Bible's so true, isn't it? So what does a man profit to gain the whole world and lose his soul? And here's a guy modeling that right, right before your eyes. Why is God showing us that? So you won't be that guy. God tells you the stuff he said. So you won't be that guy. Converses with him. Now, notice, notice the end of the text here. No more conviction. There's no more description of the Holy Spirit doing something where he felt a little weird again. Get out of my face, Paul. I'll bring you back again. There's none of that. It sounds like, and do we have these relationships? The, the unbeliever comes in, you hang out, you tell him about Jesus, come in judgment. And he's like, oh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, how's the bank account going? Right. No conviction. There's no evidence of the color of, of, of something happening in his bosom anymore. You know why? Because I'm proposing he's heard the message, he's heard the message, and it's not important anymore. He had a moment, and he didn't take it. Now we see his motivation. It was about money. Look what it says here. Two years he did this. <laughs> Two years he kind of brought him in. Two years Paul preached the gospel. Two years this dude did not respond. Which doesn't that give you hope? the greatest theologian in the new testament preached the gospel to somebody for two years and they still didn't come to christ all right he wrote 13 books of the bible you ain't got nothing you ain't got nothing you think you're doing something you get a little you get a little seminary education a couple years paul like man i memorized the pentateuch i wrote the books you studied in seminary and i preached the gospel to this dude i use all my apologetics you know what i'm saying? You know, I, I gave him case for Christ. He still didn't come to Jesus. I did all that. You see what I'm saying? That should free you up and that should humble you. Please, no one under our wives be arrogant about your proclamation about the gospel. It is not you who lead people to Jesus. Paul's way smarter than you. He's way smarter than me. That should free you. That should free you to come Friday like, yo, I can come Friday because the Holy Spirit leads people to Jesus anyway. Uh, all we need is willing people to come out and proclaim Christ. Doesn't it free up? If you're ever going, man, I don't know enough, go back to 24, Acts 24. See it. See it. Look at the text. Look at the text. Two years. Personal meeting. This wasn't a class where he didn't get to ask the right questions. It's him, Paul, and his boo. And he's like, what? let's ask more questions. Paul's giving it to him. And at the end, he's like, thank you, Paul. You ain't got no money? Okay, cool. That's what happened. I'm out. That should humble us. I hope that humbles you. I hope that gives you a passion to preach the gospel in our community, to free you up. Students, interns, I hope that frees you up. When you're out here training and caring for people, to realize God has to do it. God has to do it. All right. It says, check this out, and we're we're done. It says, Felix was succeeded by this other dude, Festus, and desired to do the Jews a favor. So at the end, he leaves Paul in prison to do the Jews a favor. Isn't that hilarious? So here's what's going on here. So they're still mad at Paul, but they want to kill Felix because Felix had done some things in antiquity. Again, get this from Josephus and also Tacitus, He had done some things where he had killed, uh, some, he had killed some Jews. So these guys are mad. They begin to want to stomp out Felix. They begin to, pro, uh, to protest, and then they get Felix kicked out. Okay? So he gets kicked out because of the power of the Jews. Uh, and this is all in antiquity. It's not in the text here. But, you know, something had to happen for Felix to leave. I checked it out. That's what happened. So he gets kicked out. But before he gets kicked out, he wants to make sure that he can kind of still pander to the Jews. You know why? Because if he gets kicked out and, and the Jews feel like he's done nothing for us, they might continue to follow Felix all the way up through the channels and try to get him killed because of what he's done to the Jews. Because the Jews had that much power, right? If, if, if the emperor thought me killing you will make these guys be quiet, he'll probably kill him. Okay, and so what Felix tried to do, he said, "Well, I don't want to die. So what I'll do is I'll do a favor for the Jews. That's the reason why he says that in the scriptures. I'm <clears> going <throat> do a favor for the Jews because they mad at me. I'm gonna leave Paul in prison because I love y'all, and now don't please don't go chase me around as I go ahead and do my resignation and go into detox, or whatever he went to. Right? So that's what's going on right here. Okay. So then he leaves Paul in prison. Here's the application. Here's two things I want to encourage us, by guys. Uh, first, what do you do with this text? First, the issue of the overcomer, the Christian, Acts twenty four sixteen, right? I want you to memorize that verse. That's what I want you to do. And I, and I, and I want us to really do some, some inventory checking on like, man, yeah, where in my life do I find myself kind of held? There's just these shackles, you know, because I can't move forward because I keep living in the past of my own sin or sin done to me. Man, I want us to be free. I want you to be free. I want you to go, man, yep, I did that. And I can, you know, I tell you, when I think of even catechizing my kids, you know, here, they're eight. My oldest are eight. So I know we're nowhere near seeing drama. So I'm not acting like we're these awesome parents. But one thing I am saying with my kids, I feel like their heart is all toward the Lord. You know why can I proclaim to you why I think that is? <clears throat> I don't think it's because all the Bible stories we're reading and all this stuff. I hope God is using all that. I'm wondering one of the main reasons Is because there is something that happens in the life of my kids. I see a life breathed in them when I do something wrong and I admit it. When When I sin against my kids or I sin against Sarah and they see it, and then I by God's grace say, son, I'm sorry for doing this. That was evil. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? Or when they see I don't have it all together and I'm making a decision and they're smart and they'll be like, well, that decision is not consistent with this decision. And and I'm like, oh, you're right. I'm sorry. And and I'll I'll say, guys, I don't really know if I'm making the right decision right now. But what I do know is I love you and I want to honor God. I've seen my kids many times. They'll be like, oh, okay, that's cool. Okay, yeah, he's trying to do the right thing. Let me give this brother a break. I've seen that over and over again. Why am I bringing that up? Because there's something in the text here that I'm seeing throughout Acts is, man, there's something that that shows the divine character of Christ when we can admit that we're wrong. And when, and this is key, and when your kids and your friends don't see that have power over you, when because you're wrong, it doesn't change your identity. See, the cool thing about my kids, I think they see, man, daddy admitted it and he moved on. He ain't sitting around with his head down, not cracking jokes now, not being goofy like he is. He's like, hey, I did it. I admitted it. Y'all ready to do life? Because we got a lot to live. You know what I'm saying, Pete? I ain't got time to be sitting around paying penance. I'm a Protestant. You understand? You understand? So that's how we wrote. Um, I say that because I look at this text here, and I just wonder if there's something very redemptive about, as a body, being willing to admit you're wrong. And being able to admit to being able to model and experience god 's grace in your life and then giving grace to other people when they wrong you, moving on and saying, "Man, no, that was horrible. it broke my heart. I have pain in my heart to this day of broken relationships and stuff like that, but guess what by god 's grace each day i 'm choosing to say i 'm trying to live a new chapter i 'm done that, that happened i 'm here now. why are you ain 't trying to leave with him and do that because i 'm moving on because I got life going this way i ain 't in reverse, my car going forward." You know what I'm saying? Y'all keep praying about that stuff. I'm done. Let's get, let's get going. So I just pray that we would be a body who says, man, I want to be an overcomer. And I want to be remain blameless both before God and before man. That's when God is doing a redemptive work in our hearts. Finally, the seeker. If you're here right now you, for whatever reason, feel like, but my sin, I'm just too far from God. Or, I mean, I don't know what the excuse. You know, if his excuse was. A lot of a lot of believers, as I, I mean, a lot of unbelievers, as I minister in the community, always think they can come to Christ tomorrow. Right? there's a lot of people who are like, "Yeah, yeah, let me just think about it," or, or they'll be religious. They know they don't love Jesus, but they kind of play the game, you know, our families and stuff like that. And you get worried. You're like, "Okay, so you just think we're gonna keep talking, and one day, one day, man, I'll get right. I know, man, I know." But you see what the Bible's saying here? You don't know when you have the next day. Because guess what happened to this guy? Even though he didn't die that day, he died that day. You know why? Because all of a sudden he wasn't here in the spirit. Seared. Seared. You know what the scriptures say? A um, very famous passage in, the, in, the, in a, parable, a parable for Jesus. Uh, says in the scriptures... And I'll go down uh, a parable saying the land of a rich man produced plentiful. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I don't know where to store my crops. He stores all his riches, right? The scriptures say, and it says, um, verse 19, I will say to my soul. Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. This is a guy who doesn't think he's going to die soon. He thinks he has another day. You know, he could be a guy who's totally, he's seared and he didn't care about Jesus. He could be a guy who says, I care about Jesus, but I want a ball first. And then when I get old, you know, then I'll come to Jesus. You know, how many of us think that? We have friends that think that. Let me get mine, and then when I'm done, I'll become a good Christian. Well, look what God says that it's nothing. He says in verse 20, but God said to him, fool. That's a foolish thing to think you understand God's timeline.'" The, this night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? When you die, all that stuff you had ain't going to you, you can't bury you with all that money. It says, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. I love some of the versions that says, you know, your soul will be required of you this very night. I don't know if that's old, old King James. I just remember, remember memorizing that in college. Your soul, you fool. Your soul will be required of you this very evening. You thought you were going to be living tomorrow? I'm killing you tonight. So my point, when I look at this passage, I see a couple of things. I see Paul proclaiming and being willing not to care what people thought. And I'm seeing a man who's saying, you know what? I'm going to be hurt and I'm going to hurt others, but I'm going to admit when I hurt other people and I'm going to receive the hurt of others and I'm going to keep moving on because God has something better and that's Jesus himself. And then I see... Right in the pericope here, a guy who has a chance, man, he gets the gospel on a silver platter and he doesn't even choose to receive it. His conscience gets seared or for whatever reason, he turns a deaf ear. Today is a day of salvation. The scriptures say, if you're in here right now, we don't want you to leave here without understanding that you need to understand the gospel and believe Jesus as your king. It's this simple. Jesus, the Lord of all creation, we send we deserve death. The rescuer came, Jesus Christ, lived a perfect life, died on the cross for our sins. And then he rose from the dead to be victorious over sin, death, Satan, evil, and to reign over all people, white, black, heavyset, skinny, athletic, intelligent, poor, rich, arrogant, humble, reigns over everyone. And he says, if you don't come to him, you will experience death and separation from God. And if you come to him, you will experience life as a co-heir. and you go, what do I need to do? Believe in Jesus Christ. Confess your sins to Jesus. He forgives you. Repent. That's what you need to do. God tells you to turn toward God and away from yourself. To admit that God is your king and you're not the king or queen anymore. And Jesus says he promises he will become your king in your life and he will begin to cleanse and make you what he wants to make you and do his thing, and just this is awesome. But you get eternal life. We pray you'll come to Jesus. No bells or whistles, but that you ask the Holy Spirit to give you faith to believe in the personal work of Jesus Christ. Right now we, we do a time of, as you think about that, a time of, of tithing and offering, and then we take our sacrament, our holy, beautiful sacrament of communion, we pray for you. Uh, if you get a uh, I mean, sorry, if you get tithed and offering in our body, please back average, Go ahead and prepare yourself to worship Jesus. If you don't, uh, what we do here is a local community. Um, our leaders come, we, we grab and we say, hey, God has given us everything. Please give back to Jesus because he's given us everything. That's what we do. So it's a time of worship for us. If you are um, a new here, we to keep your purses and your wallets to your side. We're glad you're our, our, our guest. We're so glad you're here. Please don't feel a compulsion, a compulsion to give it all. Please, I hope you've heard the gospel. hope you understand more about Jesus. That's our heart as, as a people here, and you're our guest, and we love you, okay? This is worship. If you are a guest and you know that this is worship and you get it, please give. But But, but take time. Take time to understand why you're doing what you're doing in our body. Don't do things just out of culture or anything like that do things because you get why we're doing things in in our local body so that's why we do tithe and offering and then uh we'll have our elders come down with the communion and as a local community um communion represents his body and blood uh broken and shed for us uh the wafer represents his body broken for us the the uh, the drink represents his bloodshed for our sins. And so God tells us in, in First Corinthians uh, chapter 11 to, to take and proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. And it's, that's what we do as a local body. And then we believe that the evidence of his grace is is represented in that. And we believe and we experience Christ through taking a communion. We proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Again, we ask that if you are an unbeliever, do not take of the elements. They are for the people of God. They are not for just anyone um, if you have given your life to Jesus right now, allow these to be some of the first acts of worship for you, tithe and offering and communion. Please worship Christ. But just do these for the right reasons so we can honor Christ, okay? You'll take your elements, take them back to your seat. I'll come up, lead us so we can take in unity um, as a people of God, okay? Let me pray for us. Pray for the tithe and offering. Bow your heads, please, family. Lord, thank you for uh, giving us uh, everything. And we pray that you would give us wisdom. Uh, on how to use your resources for your glory. Would you do that, Jesus? And that you would be exalted as we take communion. Uh, Lord, we love you. We thank you that your body was broken for us so that our bodies weren't broken in that way. Thank you for your blood being shed for our sins, uh, for we could not pay for our sins or the sins of the world, and we don't have to pay for our own because of your sacrifice. Thank you for that, Jesus. We love you. In Christ's name, amen.